you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hey, On She Goes listeners. Uh, thank you guys so much for being patient. We are back with a new episode. Woo! Yes, we're back in the studio. Um, we actually have a really special episode today. We went to the Wings Camp No Man's Land in the Adirondacks in New York. Uh, it was amazing. We also got a chance to do a live podcast there um, centering around women of color and the relationship with the great outdoors. Um, all of us have a ton of stories about the great outdoors. All of us have a ton of stories about like, you know, um, just adapting and feeling comfortable and all of those things. And so we shared them and we also had a special guest. We had Roxanne Fiquier, who is a writer and she is also a uh, a staff member of the wing, which was really great. Um, and then Farron also told a story. Do you want to say what your story was about? I would love to. I told a story about embracing essentially our bodies and all that comes along with that, including body hair, when you are faced with the great outdoors. Yes. And I told a story about... Uh, comedy and tragedy on the river. And then we also had some people from the audience um, speak about their experience as well um, and told some stories about, you know, their outdoors and what it was like for them the first time and even the last time. So first, though, I want to talk about our experience at Camp No Man's Land. I'm going to give a little bit of background. Uh, Camp No Man's Land is a all women and female identifying um, camp that the wing does every summer. And it's basically a grown up campers paradise. Um, there is everything you can possibly think of to be a kid again. There's activities, there's um, food in the mess hall, there's like, you know, events and obstacle courses on the lake. There are, you know, sneaker designs. There are so many things. I mean, there's a prom. It's 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 countless. There's karaoke. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what you guys thought of it. I mean, give me your first impressions. Like, Becca, what did you think when we first Man, got there? I, I grew up going to Girl Scout camp. I never got to go to, like, sleep away, like, summer full-on camp. But it's very nostalgic to show up to these campgrounds. But, man, oh, man, was it beautiful. Probably the nicest campgrounds I had ever been to. Not to cut you off, but it was Camp Echo Lake, which is in Warrensburg, New mm-hmm. York. And it le- it legit looks like a, a movie, a movie set. There. It was so beautiful. And it was something that really stuck out to me was, you know women created this camp because every detail was thought about. And no man could ever, literally no man in no man's land could ever have thought about Everything from the second you step out the bus, like the branding you get and the package that is given to you with all the stickers and patch and like so campy themed and then you get off and there's water, there's snacks. Like they thought about your comfort as much as your fun and your experience for the quality of what you received was, it was just, I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away from every touch point. Yeah. How about you, Farron? Copy and paste what Becca (laughs) and Sarita just said. But I would add, 
with the Hollywood film analogy. It definitely was um, a parent trap meets like Wes Anderson because the the artistic touches to everything, to Becca's point, it was so thoughtfully produced. And we work at a place where we look at really ginormous productions that are so thoughtfully produced as well. So we're kind of amazingly used to that world. But man, I every single detail was accounted for. Uh, this is somewhat cheesy, but you could just feel it. Like everyone felt so taken care of and it was it was all women. So that in and of itself, anytime you t- step into a space of just women, there's like this crazy feminine energy that's just mm-hmm. around the whole time. So, wow, it was surreal. People keep asking, like, what was it like? I'm like, surreal. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. And there were fashions. Like, even though it was camp, there were fashions. Um, You know, it's funny because, like, now the Met Gala this year was camp. But, like, this was, like, the camp version of camp. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it (laughs) was, like, Camp Square. Like, it was, like, not... It was the square. Yeah, like it it was it was just amazing. Like people had the perfect boots, socks. I mean, everybody was prepared. Hats, sunglasses. I mean, it was really amazing. And like it was such an awesome grown up experience. Um, so just to kind of give you a rundown, the first, uh, we got there, we got to the wing, we all kind of loaded onto our respective buses. Um, the wing is very cute. If you've never been to the wing in Dumbo, it is super, super beautiful. It looks like a space that is perfectly curated for like feminine energy. Um, I mean, there's even like a room of hair products and, you know, things like that, like makeup and like, you can literally like live there and it's fine. Like <laughs> and it's, it's fine. Yeah. 100% like it, it's such a comfortable space um, we loaded onto the buses uh, they were nice touring buses it was really nice um, and we watched some movies on the way stopped at a rest stop I had to get myself some Roy Rogers that was like my first time eating fried chicken for a while it was delicious um, and we headed over to the camp once we got there we pulled up like almost in front of our cabin yeah so our cabin was basically like a four four bed cabin because it was myself, Farron, Becca, and Rebecca, um, and we had these cute little beds. And on our on our beds were really really beautiful J Crew like overnight bags. Yeah, really cute J Crew hats. Um, yeah. The bags were filled with wonderful things. J Crew socks. We had fresh products. Fresh products. Yes. Um, the even our room was filled. Like our cabin was filled with Pantene products and fresh products and smart water. I mean, yeah. it was like all accounted for yes. in that room. One hundred percent. Like we probably didn't even have to leave that room. We could probably could have just like did mask. True. The whole time. True. Fresh <laughs> yeah. beauty product mask exactly. the entire night. <laughs> so we got all of those amazing things. Um, one of the things that they really made sure that they did was wellness. I think they really wanted women to feel like they could unwind. Um, and we both, we all did a wellness exercise. I actually yeah. did an astrology reading, which was super cool. Um, it was very accurate. I'm <laughs> apparently going to have a very interesting rest of the year. Um, a lot of changes are going to be made. Stay tuned. Um, but, and you guys, you you guys both did astrology and acupuncture? or Yeah, Farron did acupuncture. I did acupuncture. And you and I did astrology, astrology. as well, and it was because I do use CoStar, and I'm not like a strong. I probably in 2019 have leaned more into this 
female astrology, you know, movement that's been going on. <laughs> I try not to like What's your birthday? What time were you born? It. You know, it's just like a nice thing to let go. So I did the astrology reading reading and I felt like really red. But it was really fun. That was like the first thing we did when we got there. We because we were um speaking at the event, yeah. they uh the wing team that was, you know, coordinating No Man's Land were very gracious to make sure that we had dibs on like things that we wanted to do. So right when we got there, it was like, oh, you made an appointment for acupuncture mm-hmm. and astrology go 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 like it the was first, like, like being a kid again couple sure. hours yeah and a kid on christmas day yeah. too because there were there was so much going on and we knew we had they had given us really lovely packets that kind of broke down every activity at every any given moment on any given day and it was there was just so it was so thoughtfully programmed but you wanted to go to everything I'm like I want to do this and this and this but this overlaps and this time overlaps and so by the like first day we were like whoa we're really overwhelmed in a great way like overwhelmed with excitement what did Um, you think about acupuncture so I went on out on a limb I usually would opt for the astrology read (laughs) because that's definitely my lane but I've never done acupuncture before and I've been super interested in it and I'm like hey why don't I do acupuncture in the middle of the woods for the first time because that (laughs) sounds pretty great um and it was intense like there's needles all up in your body (laughs) and I told her what I was like going through and she's like, okay, I know exactly what to do for you. And I just sat with needles in my body for 20 minutes. And afterwards I'm like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Did you feel good? Yes, I felt good. But I could hear, they put headphones on and with like really awesome meditative music. But the astrology read was so close to me. So every now and then I'd get spurts of like Sarita talking to the person and then Becca getting hurt. And I was like, I don't want to hear their astrology read. So I had to go back into deep meditative state. Yeah. But at least you're good at going into a meditative state. That's good. Yeah, it was it was hard. That's, but that's a lot. Um, and then in addition to that, we had, um, there was a stand-up comedy event. Um, after the happy hour, and Aparna Nanshirla was the uh, stand-up comedian, and she is very funny. That very was funny. really awesome. Like, I think we were in, like, a rolling laughter the whole time. I never broke to, like, sit and not laugh. It was, my stomach was clenched, and I had this weird, like, ha-ha-ha-ha <laughs> the entire time. But, like, genuine laughter. I it haven't is. actually ever witnessed someone like been in the presence up? of a comedian that funny though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like every single joke landed. Yeah, every single joke landed. Every That's so one. true. I would say Friday was like my favorite night because of like the activities, like trivia, even though I'm mm-hmm. awful at trivia. Uh, but the trivia, the uh, MC for the trivia, she is a member of the wing mm-hmm. and she was incredible. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. She was so, so funny. And the we did like the trivia answers were campy, you know, it was all like camp trivia, camp movies. And such. And then we rolled into the comedy. And I love comedy. I'm a big comedy buff. So I was so excited to see a partner because I've actually been following her for a really long time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've never paid to be able to see someone that I really, really want to see. Like, Mm -hmm. I always end up at these kind of startup comedy shows. So it was so, so exciting to have, like, a full 30 with someone that, like, you actually admire. And then they just killed it. Everyone was just laughing the entire, entire night. And then there was karaoke Mm-hmm. Afterwards, which I am not a fan of karaoke. Uh, <laughs> you were so visibly but I uncomfortable. Was, yeah. Oh my gosh. Because I can't sing. I'm very self conscious of my singing voice because if I scream, I sound like a dying horse. So, but it was fun watching. Everybody got so into it. And that was kind of the beautiful thing of 
how freeing the space was. Like, no, there was no judgment. People really genuinely just want to have a good time. No they, self-consciousness. Yeah, there's no what happens when men aren't around? Yeah. yeah. That's what it because seems like. Because we're not like even having an Oprah aha moment right yes. now. Yeah, no okay. one was trying to impress anybody. It was no. just like, we're here to have a good time. Mm-hmm. There's a bar. There's music. We're singing. We're dancing. And I got really into it. And I, as I said... Hey, karaoke. I didn't go sing though. We didn't we didn't make it. No, we did not sing. The line was very long. It was, it was uh, an extensive line. The first comedian that went on before Aparna was Lisa Beasley. She was really awesome and very funny as well. And I mean, I think it just takes so much guts to get up in front of like a room full of women. And I mean, it was probably like 500 yeah, people there. There are a lot of women. So, it takes takes a lot of guts and she did an amazing job and you guys can actually follow her at Lisa B Experience. It literally is L-I-S-A, the letter B, experience. And she's really awesome. I definitely think she's, like, one to watch for sure. And she was doing interviews, too. Yeah. 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 On the Wings Instagram, they did this really fun little feature with her. Totally. It was so good. And then you actually became the queen of the campfire because you started teaching all these women how to roast marshmallows and make s'mores. Is that weird? No, that's awesome. Sometimes it's life's little moments, but I had one of the most special human connections where... I was I was making a s'more and someone right next to me, you heard all this like chatter about, I've never made a s'more before. And I think mm-hmm. even Rebecca was like, I've only made a s'more in a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Which I right. was totally respect and have done. But yeah. <laughs> there was this woman right across from me and she was like, I don't remember how it happened, but I ended up making her a s'more, like helping her with the s'more experience. And she was so genuinely touched. She was like, oh my gosh, this is like the sweetest thing. Thank you so much. Like, I didn't know how to make one. That's so cool that you know how. And in that moment, I was like, damn. That was Farron's time to shine. It was my time. (laughs) And I turned to you, Sarita, and I said, I've, what did I say? I was like... I've done what I needed to do. <laughs> yes, she did. She did. And then we walked away. And yeah. then we walked. So he was like, that feels like a good note to leave on. Yeah. <laughs> And then we walked I away. I that. We went back to karaoke for a little bit, and then we went back to our, uh, retired to our, our home, our cabin. Um, and then, like, honestly, the next day was really cool. I didn't get to do a whole lot, because I think I overdosed on wine the first <laughs> night. Um, I had a lot of sparkling rosé, which, I mean, come on, when there's, like, it, when you feel Open like there's, bar. like, so much sparkling rosé, I'm like, I don't get to drink this all the time. I'm not fancy enough. <laughs> and so I literally was drinking it like it was water. Um, I hoarded like eight bottles of water at all. Sarita, everyone can attest to it. Yes. It was a little weird. I'm pretty sure that you still have smart water bottles. It's somewhere. got it, like coming out of my suitcase. Yeah, probably. like I, I don't know. Like I believe it. I'm like, Farron, you know, there's water everywhere. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> but that was really awesome. Um, you guys went to some cool stuff during the day because I couldn't get it together. I had to like, <laughs> I had to go lay down. But you guys went to some really cool stuff. Yeah. You guys want to talk about it or no? Saturday. What we... was the wellness thing you guys went? We went to the wellness thing afterwards. Oh, yeah. And that was honestly my, I mean, Friday was my favorite, like, night. But that event was, I think, for most of us, like, our favorite thing that we did. It was an hour-long workshop where they brought in the YouTube beauty blogger uh, Ingrid Nelson. And she's been on YouTube for, like, 10 years. I followed her for a while. And she did a little bit of, like, a self-care moment with us and then they brought in one of their wing members who also did a you know like a 20 minute meditation right um Farron do you want to expand a little bit more yes I would love to (laughs) um we did the meditation 
the breathing technique. It's going to oh, be really yes. hard to explain over the podcast, but essentially you plug one vessel of your, or one nostril, breathe in, and then you maneuver your fingers to the other nostril. You're going to hear me feel, sounding really nasally because I'm doing it. And then you breathe out through the other nostril. And I've been doing that every morning. And it's supposed to ignite the left side of your brain, which is the more like motherly, nurturing, um, I think creative, there were some other like descriptors to it, but then also when you breathe in through your left nostril and then when you breathe in through your right and release through your right, you ignite the right side of your brain, which is the more like masculine energy. So that really stuck with me. Did that stick with you? Yeah, I was really congested during (laughs) the session, so I didn't really practice it because I was like, this is going to get gross. But I had done some of that meditative uh, breathing before and it is really helpful when you aren't um, having sinus problems like I normally do but I really liked the they gave us which was awesome we got there and they gave us a little notebook and then like a towel and a face mask Ingrid did an exercise on affirmations and what does she call them um blurts spats? blurts blurts, yes, blurts. <laughs> so you you opened up the little notebook and you wrote down your blurts which are kind of like self-doubts almost, like Mm -hmm. things that make you not feel super great about yourself. Um, And then you, you spend three minutes writing those. And then you take three minutes and you write all the positive things to those. So you're kind of counteracting your blurts. And it's a little bit of an exercise of like self-love, self-affirmation, just like trying to cleanse those toxic thoughts that you have. That's so, really awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys were able to have that experience. Because um, following that, we ended up doing our live podcast, which probably you guys are probably all at ease. And I was like a bowl of nerves. <laughs> I was about to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> like, but when we finished the podcast, we were able to go chill by the lake, which was really great. And, um, you know, there's an obstacle course there that was super awesome. And, like, there was a bunch of women on the side on the dock of the lake. And we were all just laying out and, like, watching all the other women, like, do the obstacle course and, like, canoe and, you know, stand up paddleboard and, like, all of these really awesome things um, that you don't really get to see women, specifically women of color, do. And there was a lot of women of color there, which was really awesome. Yeah, a lot. um, I'm going to fast forward, actually, to the wet gala because we're kind of running out of time. Ooh, one thing, though, about the, the the lake, it looks like the lake from the Adams Family Values movie. Just saying. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, Adams Family Values. Yes. Anyway, continue. It's a ni- and it was nice. I went inside of it, actually, and it wasn't very cold. Like, it, there was the initial shock, but then I was like, oh, this is fine. It was good. <laughs> this is kind of nice. nice. And it was like a nice beach and, like, beautiful umbrellas all over the beach. I mean, it literally looked like a paradise. Um, a woodsy paradise. Yes. Woodsy. So later that night, we went to the wet gala, which is basically what they call the prom. Uh, the wet gala theme, well, the theme was wet, um, <laughs> which was like under the sea. So there were some really cool uh, outfits there. Some looks. Yes. yes. There was like people dressed up as like crabs and sharks, <laughs> but then there was also like a ton of sequins and like amazing, like a lot of blue and, you know. Greens. Yes, greens. Like a lot of liberty with sequins, like, like mermaid colors. Tail. Mermaid tails. I saw a couple mermaid tails. Yes. It was very inspired. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, there was a couple who dressed like 
sailors. I tried to do a sailor look. It it kind of nailed, but not really. But that's fine. Uh, <laughs> we had a really great time. Uh, Jasmine Solano, shout out to Jasmine. She's freaking amazing. Um, she was the DJ for the Wet Gala. The music was popping. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was such a good time. I mean, the thing about the Wet Gala, what I heard from someone was. This is the first time I've ever been at a party where I didn't have to worry about being groped Mm. or have a panic about feeling like I might get roofied. And that sticks out so, like, that is so important to me because I'm like, wow, it was a carefree good time. Yeah. It was an important moment. Just love that this was like finally, it was one of my first times ever going out Mm -hmm. and having the option to drink and feeling like completely safe and being able to do that and not have to worry about anyone looking at me weird, about being portrayed as a bad drunk or, you know, just like having to take care of anybody, like having to make sure no one's doing anything shady. It was such a responsible party, too. Like, it was carefree, but also responsible. But I guess, like, women, we're just good like that. We are responsible. I mean, I think the overall lesson of the entire weekend is that, like, we pretty much are, like, the most amazing creatures on earth. Yeah, women do everything better. Yeah, like, like we literally, we really have everything dialed in, (laughs) which is, like, really, I think it's safe to say that. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Audrey Gelman, first of all. Audrey was, is, is, Audrey is nine months pregnant and (laughs) was fully, fully participating in this. And I, I just, she was the sweetest and I just can't, we can't thank her enough for allowing us to be there. Also a special shout out to Zara and Yasmin and Anisha. Um, they were absolutely amazing. That is the wing team that they basically took us from point A to point B through this whole thing. Oh, and Taryn. Taryn wasn't there, but Taryn was oh, the person yeah. I was, the late young lady I was talking to in the beginning, and she was super helpful. Um, you know, before we go, I just want to say uh, thank you so much to the wing. And make sure you guys follow The Wing. They're just at The Wing. Um, and check them out. It's a really awesome space. Um, and it's it's a very uniting experience to be at camp and to be at The Wing just in general. Uh, please enjoy the podcast. If you guys have any feedback, comments, or anything like that, you know how to DM us. And yes, uh, I think we're good to go. What do you guys think? That's a great wrap. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Hi, everybody. Thank you guys for coming. I'm going to come straight out the gate and say we're all three of us are very nervous to like help us get over the nerves. All right. Thank you. My name is Sarita. I am uh, one of the co-founders of On She Goes. We are a travel platform for women of color. Um, we do a lot of live podcasts and podcasts that we record. We release a bi-weekly podcast if you want to check us out. Um, we're going to be doing a storytelling experience today about the great outdoors. Um, notoriously, and at least for me and some of them, uh, women of color, we have a different relationship with the outdoors. Uh, as far as I was raised, I did not have a ton of experience. I was actually told, like, why do you want to be out there? Like, you know, I couldn't do many things. Like, one of the biggest things was I could never get my hair wet because my mom would be furious if she braided this all into a cone and then I got it messed up. Um, so we're going to hear a varying stories. Um, we have Farron Nickdell, who is a member of On She Goes. Hello, everyone. 
Hi. We also have Roxanne Ficier. Yes, I keep making her last name Spanish, I apologize. And uh, we're gonna hear three types of stories. One is a comedy tragedy, which is mine. Uh, there's gonna be a coming of age story about uh, body image and acceptance, which is Farron's. And we're also gonna hear a story, a beautiful story about connecting with the culture not of your own, which is Roxanne's. So I'm actually gonna start. Um, so like I said, my background, I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, we do not have floating, we don't have rivers, lakes. We do, but you don't get in it. You know, we have like the Schuylkill River and you really don't want, it looks disgusting. Um, so, you know, I didn't have a lot of outdoor experience. I had never been camping or anything like that. But then I moved to Oregon um, from New York City, actually, in uh, 2013. And I was introduced to floating in a river. Now, uh, I'm going to start this off with tips. So each part of my story is going to have a tip for pre being prepared to float. <clears throat> tip number one, listen to your gut. So my sister had asked me, my sister moved to Portland also and said, I really want to go floating. We met a nice group of black folks that we were so happy to like, you know, find community in Portland. And they were all going floating. I did not ask if anyone had ever been floating before, which is one of my biggest mistakes. And my first instinct was, no, you know, I'm going to sit this one out because I had a really tragic experience in Iowa floating, and it's not, that's for another day. Um, but I would say, like, definitely trust your gut. If you feel like this is not for you, then don't do it. But I did it anyway. So I signed up to go floating. We get there. I also decided to wear my first thong bikini. So that brings me to tip number two, dress the part. Now... <laughs> I purchased this thong bathing suit and I decided to wear it on a floating trip. I don't know if you know much about rivers, but uh, floating down a river in a thong is super uncomfortable. There's a lot of rocks. So, and I will say this, this kind of brings me to my next tip, which is tip number three, have your own method of transport. So I had a float and hence the rocks, I needed to move to another float. So I moved to the bigger float. There was a community float, which was really, really nice. And I saw them blowing it up and I was like, oh, this is gonna be dope. It has a cooler in the middle. Everybody's excited, it's popping. We're gonna have a great time. I get on the community float and it turns out that they had a, a big, it's not a bucket, but a box of Popeyes on the float, which is really hard to eat on the river. You can't really eat chicken on the river. Um, there were two bottles of Hennessy inside of the cooler with ice. <laughs> and then my good sisters, they bought uh, their leather bags on the float. So we had like straight up Michael Kors bags with like, you know, spikes and, and buckles and all types of stuff. Uh, which brings me to the next thing. Now, it is okay to drink on floats, but you should, not, you should also not have glass bottles, hence the Hennessy, and they also had shot glasses. So they were taking shots, and we were eating chicken, and then we were rolling up something. Now, weed is legal in Oregon, so it's cool. But it was just kind of like nobody really had their wits about them at some point. Everybody was a little too drunk and a little too high. At one point, one of the purses spikes the float, <laughs> this is the big float that everybody's on, mind you. And this is, there's probably at least six girls on the float and like two guys. Um, and the float is spiked, it's punctured, and half of the float starts to sink. 
Now, you would have thought the Titanic was going down. Like, it was really bad. Everybody was panicked. It was terrifying. I was scared, but I wasn't too scared. And I actually hadn't smoked or anything like that. So I actually had my wits about me. I just looked like a fool in a thong bikini. Um, (laughs) And so everybody was super scared. And then people started, like, trying to rush to the other side of the float because one side was sinking. And then, of course, that made the other side sink. And people did not know how to swim. So that's my other that's my other tip. If you don't know how to swim, you should have probably brought a life vest or you should have left yourself at home. Like this is a river and this river actually gets really deep. So then I actually had to save two people because I can swim pretty well. But I had to save two people in a thong um, from basically drowning. So that that happened. And then people were trying to save the Hennessy. And then there was also a Tupperware of fruit that they were trying to save as well. Yeah, (laughs) it was very like disturbing and I kept screaming at people please just leave it leave it come on like we have to get to the side and so we finally get to the side and we're like pulling and people are just like discombobulated everybody's freaked out and so this brings me to my next tip save the people closest to you my mother would have absolutely killed me if anything happened to my sister. So I was like, I need to save my sister. Now, my sister had had an edible, so she was way too high. I turned around and looked at her. She was straight up looking like Mary J. Blige on this. Like, it was, she was like sitting on a, um, a reclining float, like one of those that like, look like it's just for a pool. It's not for a river at all. So she's sitting on there. She has sunglasses on, a gold necklace, a really deep V white bathing suit. She looks sharp, but... She she was like also just stuck because she was so high. So I grabbed her and I, uh, I made this flow. I blew it up with my mouth like more because it was still kind of like it was it was a little janky. And so I blew it up more. I actually got on top of her because she could barely move. And I swam us to safety and I left everybody else there. Mind you, I'm literally swimming on top of her like this. My butt's out to the world. So there are people like literally rapid like white water rapiding next to us. I don't even know if that's the word, rapiding. So I eventually saved my sister. It was embarrassing to have my butt out, but I, I felt really good about it. My last and final tip is leave your phones in the car. Don't even bring them with you. Um, eight phones died that day because everybody's phone was in the water, including my own. So that's my story. Um, and I hope you guys take heed and also follow those tips if you can. <laughs> And then Roxanne is going to tell us a story. Hi, guys. <laughs> All right. So this uh, is a thing that I wrote about a trip that I wrapped up. I got home, actually, this past Monday from Indonesia. Um, so I'm still tired. Um, and I wrote this piece, and it's called um, Exchange Rate. When you're far from home, time has a way of either slowing to a crawl or racing by at breakneck speed. Minutes pay no mind to runner's wisdom when it comes to tackling long distances at a moderate pace. Long-haul flights stretch out languorously, well beyond the durations specified on any travel itinerary, and text messages from our service providers remind us that 15 minutes of cell phone usage on foreign soil have somehow chewed through an entire month's worth of data. Two weeks ago, which coincidentally only comes out to 336 hours or so, I found myself planted firmly within the sluggish end of that travel time spectrum, 
counting a seemingly endless series of prolonged overgrown seconds as I sat catching my breath in a deeply wooded area about 9,000 miles from here. I'd agreed to go trekking through the jungles of Indonesia with my friend Sarah, despite my lack of athleticism, endurance, or general outdoorsiness, but at this moment, it wasn't the trip's physical challenges that were making each moment lag. It was that I'd traveled thousands of miles only to be forced to listen to some middle-aged man pontificate on the meaning of life. His name was Ming, and within a day of meeting him, he'd made sure that we all knew he was 41 years old and therefore older and more experienced than any of us, that he was a biotech entrepreneur, that money was no issue for him, that he ran half marathons, that in New York City, ambition runs high and go-getters abound, that he'd addressed his recent midlife crisis by seeking out a group of Ukrainian orphans to essentially invest in, According to him, if he could just optimize his buy-in, say, provide them with laptops and tutors instead of simply sending their foster mother grocery money each month, he could ensure their success in the form of straight A's and scholarships. But most of all, Ming wanted us to know that when it came to life, he had zero regrets. All of this in spite of the fact that literally no one had asked him for any of this information. <laughs> If I'd had the misfortune of stumbling into a conversation with this man at a cocktail party, I'd have risked whiplash in my attempt to do an about face and vacate the premises as quickly as possible. And now I was trapped with him in close quarters for 10 days. As a coping mechanism, I began to take great interest in my braids, my fingernails, my bug bites. At the start of some unprompted soliloquy, I'd nod a couple of times, offer a few noncommittal grunts to be polite, and then set about examining one or all of them intently, all the while observing that every minute spent listening to him ramble felt like hours. And so, while we pause to catch our breath and have a snack in the middle of a national park just outside a village named Bukit Lawang, I heard my long-winded travel companion gearing up to discuss the secret to happiness, and I promptly focused my attention on a hangnail residing on my left hand ring finger. He told us that money definitely factored into the happiness equation, smugly pointing out that as far as his happiness was concerned, he had no issues in that arena. I considered my cuticles. How were they faring? <laughs> then he posited that time itself was a form of currency too, an exchange of energy, if you will. I mentally drafted an invoice while peering at a mosquito bite between my knuckles. Sarah, seated a few feet away, locked eyes with me as I widened mine in an expression caught between scorn and despair. This guy cannot be fucking serious. Meanwhile, Anna, our tour guide, busied herself taking photos and video to post once we found some reliable Wi-Fi. The park rangers chatted among themselves, cutting up fruit for the group to eat and fully ignoring the self-generated TED Talk in progress. Clearly, they were well-versed in the art of avoiding energy exchanges that didn't serve them. Even as I flailed internally at the prospect of being subjected to several days of spontaneous mansplaining, I knew that this guy was probably far from the worst tourist our guides had ever encountered. When a traveler touches down in places unknown, there's an unspoken expectation that the destination will unfurl the very best of itself on command. Food, landscapes, culture, hospitality. Perhaps the voyager will get lucky and stumble across some life-changing perspective or ancient wisdom. Those perks aren't guaranteed, of course, but the exchange rate remains forever in the traveler's favor, nonetheless. All they have to do is show up and pay for services rendered. In exchange, the world on a platter. 
As someone who benefits from this skewed equation every time I book a flight to someplace new, I try to make a point of approaching my explorations with consideration and grace. It's really not difficult to learn a few phrases in the local language, to refrain from having a meltdown at the ticket counter, to avoid making flippant observations and blanket assumptions about a culture that's not my own, to learn the names of the folks who take time to share their country with me, to not complain loudly every time I encounter an experience that varies from what I know. All I have to do is show up and pay for services rendered. And to do so humbly is the very least I can do to express my gratitude for everything I receive in return. And yet, moving through the world as a black woman brings with it a set of challenges that seem to tuck themselves into our checked luggage, no matter how far we wander. For lack of a better term, I've encountered some weird shit on each of the four continents I've had the pleasure of visiting, and nearly always on account of the color of my skin and all that comes along with it. The first time I traveled overseas as an adult, our study abroad coordinators in France arranged for a group of us to take a cooking lesson at the home of an amateur chef. We arrived to find our hostess's Parisian apartment inexplicably brimming with old Dixie decor. Ceramic mammies containing sugar and flour grinned at us from kitchen shelves, while hanging textiles depicted slaves toiling away under the southern sun. A dour-looking brass butler with African features stood at attention near her fireplace. I love American folk art, she told us. It was the summer of 2008, and she was excited by the possibility of the United States getting its first black president. Are you going to vote for Obama? And you? How about you? She asked my classmates eagerly, pointing at us one by one. You're going to vote for Obama, she said to me. Moving on to the next person in the room, are you going to vote for Obama? I wasn't even taken aback by her behavior by then. During a, few short, during a few short weeks, encounters like these had already become commonplace. I can still recall the profound exhaustion I felt as I neared the end of that trip. It had been a journey void of long hikes and active adventures, but I didn't, I'd been depleted in other ways. It's a feeling I recognize at home and one I've come to know all too well abroad. In Indonesia, Ming made sure to continue being as absurdly out of pocket as possible in regards to race too. At one point, while describing his latest biotech venture to an unsuspecting Australian couple, he paused to ask me if any of my friends had sickle cell anemia. <laughs> it's common among the African-American community, he volunteered when I stared back at him blankly. And those braids that I kept fiddling with in the jungle to pass the time, they turned out to be the source of a lot of weird shit, too. They're asking if your hair is real, Anna said, as we waited to pass through security at the airport. I'd heard the giggling and excited chatter behind me and assumed it had nothing to do with me, but it seemed my hair was a source of delight, derision, maybe a combination of the two. They want to know if they can touch it, she translated, and added a tentative, it's okay, when she saw my face. They do this with anybody who looks different, myself included. Fair enough. But for her, a waifish European woman with red hair, looking different results in Indonesian modeling opportunities, not idle requests to be petted that wouldn't even fly in the orangutan century sanctuary that we'd recently visited. I shook my head no, and a new round of titters emerged from behind me as they reached out and did it anyway. As we moved throughout Western Sumatra, the fascination with my braids hit a fever pitch. Locals asked for photos with me. School children pointed and laughed. Strings of unrelated passersby would ask the exact same questions as we walked down a single country road. Is it real? Is this like Bob Marley's? Can I touch it? T 
Time after time, I deployed a polite smile and emphatically apologetic but gesticular refusal. Time after time, it didn't work. I tried not to dwell on it. For starters, I had several other things to worry about. Staying upright on the back of a motorbike as the weight of my backpack pulled me backwards with every bump in the road. Dealing with the massive cicada that managed to take up residence inside my mosquito net. Rotating my ankles between treks. Reapplying insect repellent. Secondly, unlike many of the clueless white folks I'd encountered back home with similarly invasive questions about my hair, I wanted to give these people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they really hadn't seen too many black girls with waist-length box braids before. I couldn't excuse the unsanctioned touching, but I could see how the sight of me might be a departure from their norm. I mean, their world was certainly a departure from mine. After our flight touched down in Padang, I continued to venture even further from my comfort zone as we set about making our way to the island of Sibirut, where we were to spend two nights living with the Mentawai people, a semi-nomadic tribe that lived in the region in isolation until the year 1621. After a six-hour ferry followed by a one-hour canoe ride, we removed our shoes at the riverbank and proceeded to hike barefoot through calf-height mud to our destination as the sun set in the distance. Upon arrival, we were greeted by our hosts, a shaman, his wife, her sister, and their relatives who had stopped by a 30-minute walk to say hello. Almost immediately, the woman of the house gathered us around her to give a tutorial on how to prepare sagu, a ground palm flower that the family was going to eat for dinner that night, along with the pigs and the cats and the dogs and their chickens. The next day, we learned how to weave roof panels from leaves and waded into the river to try our hand at fishing. At night, we slept on the floor in the front room, draped sheets and bamboo mats arranged to create makeshift bedrooms and seal off the smell of the pigs living beneath the floorboards. Only one person in the house spoke English, Bahasa, and Mentawai, so we mostly relied on what few words of each other's languages we did know. Aloita for hello, bagus for good, Masura Bagata, or Makasi, for thank you. The shaman could greet us in English and offer up a sympathetic hut when he saw the sweat pouring down my face during a hike. And when there was a midday lull and the translator was nearby to fill in the blanks, yes, my braids eventually did come up in conversation. The shaman's wife commented that she wished her hair wasn't so thin and wondered how mine had been done. I asked if there was a Mentawai word for braid, but no one could quite nail it down. So I took down my bun, grabbed a single braid, and fanned out the bottom to show her the three pieces used to create it. She watched closely as I braided it slowly down to the tip and shook her head. She wasn't familiar with this. Could it be done to her, she wondered? It could. I stood behind her, bent down until the nape of her neck was at eye level, gathered her hair in my hands, and split it into three sections. I'd traveled 9,000 miles to be there, but I was grateful to her for finding a way to meet me in the middle. It was a moment worth savoring. Thank you, Roxanne, for that beautiful story. I'm sorry I have to go right after that because it's not as beautiful. Um, but hello, everyone. My name is Farron Nickdell. Um, I'm also a part of On She Goes with Sarita and then my two girls over there, Rebecca and Becca. Um, has anyone heard of the city Spokane in Spokane, Washington? Hands up high. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, I was not expecting that many people, but I'm very flattered. 
Um, that is where I'm born and raised. My parents came over from Iran when they were 14 and 16 during the Iranian Revolution. Um, and somehow, by the grace of God, met in um, Cheney, Washington, of all places, and got married, just celebrated their 37th year anniversary, um, and had two girls, my sister and myself. Um, we lived on a cul-de-sac in a very white city, um, almost by contrast to a family of eight, and they were Mormon. And so my whole life, it was like, this um, Muslim family of four and this family of eight um, that were all Mormon. And so I got to, and I was best friends with the kids next door and we were all grew up together. So it was kind of this insane contrast of different worlds colliding. But um, I went to a private school, was my sister and I, I believe, were the only brown women in that entire um, graduating class or school from kindergarten through eighth grade, um, let alone black women. There were, I mean, I think just about all of the kids in school were white kids. Um, so just looking back, it was like that was our life. That was how we grew up. And every single summer, um, there was this camp called Camp Reed. And my best friends would disappear for a week and then come back home and talk about their tales and tell me all about their counselors and these weird names that their counselors were called. Um, and I was definitely intrigued. So I asked and talked to my mom and dad about going to summer camp for a week. And to an Iranian household, my parents still like kiss me on the lips. Like that is, we are just very, very close. And they're almost like bubble wrapped blankets around my sister and I. Um, so they, there was a little bit of hesitation, but sure enough, uh, I was able to go to summer camp and I being the oldest kind of took the plunge and I started probably like eighth grade. So I was 13, 14 at the height of my teenage insecurity. Um, and summer camp also was a place for all the girl cabins with all the boy cabins and you would like sneak up and have little crushes. And here I was um, as an Iranian woman, like blessed with a lot of body hair. So it, it really is wonderful for your eyelashes and your hair. But I had, I rivaled a lot of the white boys with arm hair and upper lip hair. Um, so that was just something that I was always pretty insecure about. And I remember um, my mom giving me nair for my upper lip and for my arms if I would get insecure. But you didn't have that stuff at camp. So um, I went to camp and there was this almost like orientation that you would step into. The counselor would say, this is Camp Reed. Um, it's unlike the city. This is where we put our, our technology away. It's where we leave. We don't put makeup on because everybody is beautiful at camp. Um, there's no time really for primping and grooming like we were all used to at 14 and 15. Um, so the way that translated for me was like, you're not taking a long shower and you're sure as hell not shaving in that shower. Um, so I remember by like the first couple of days of camp, I would see all my little stubbles on my arm hair and, you know, feeling my lip hair to see like, uh oh, my mustache is coming through. I'm getting really nervous. All these boys are going to see my body hair. 
Um, and the days would go on, and my stubbles would get longer and longer. And Thursday was kind of the like climactic point of camp. You had this big party. We'd all wear crazy outfits. And by Thursday, because I hadn't looked in a mirror for however many days, and I'd kind of gotten the swing of camp, I was at the party like dancing with my armpits out and my leg hair was just out and I was chill with it. And Friday would pass and Saturday would pass and we'd get picked up on Sunday and I'd get home and then I'm like, do I need a razor? Do I really need to shave my, my leg hair? I'm cool with it now. Um, so I guess the takeaway from my story, since we're doing a takeaway with Sarita, is if you want to shave, great, but if not, fuck the razor um, and embrace the body hair. So that's my story. So we'd like to offer up the opportunity if anybody wants to share a story. We're, uh, we're going to have a mic to pass around, so if anyone wants to share an outdoor story, please feel free to do so and raise your hand and we'll get it on over to you. Yeah? Okay, great. And please say your name and where you're from as well, please. Um, hi, so I'm Sinikiwe. I'm from Zimbabwe, but um, I've traveled a lot and grew up primarily in upstate New York. Uh, so it's really interesting for me because I fucking love camp things and like outdoor things. I was a Girl Scout until 11th grade. Um, like, like, really love camp, guys. I was a camp counselor when I was 19. Um, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing for me, I think, has always been the dynamic of people seeing me loving the woods and nature um, and thinking that I'm not supposed to. So having that push and pull of being like, wait, what? You build fires and shit? Like, wait, what? what? Um, so kind of having to fight um, that duality. And then I think in terms of camp experiences, my interesting experience was going to Girl Scout camp, expecting it to be co-ed, um, and it was not. And I was very sorely disappointed in that. Um, and then, yeah, I've always been the person that like changes in a towel and like does a dance as I'm changing to, so no one can see anything, um, even with my mom and my sister. And when I went to Girl Scout camp, the entire time they were just like, why don't you change in front of us? What is the problem? Why won't you change in front of us? And that was like the underlying rhetoric for the, I think, four weeks or whatever that I was at camp is just like, aren't you comfortable enough with yourself? Why won't you change in front of us? Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else? Oh, got one back. Oh, got one here, got one back there. Okay, we're going to do right here. We're going to go here first and then over there. Okay, hi, guys. Um, God, this is nerve-wracking. Um, I was just telling a story on the bus, actually. Wait, can you tell us your name and where you're from? Oh, I'm, my name's Deborah Cartwright, and I'm from Annapolis, Maryland. And I've been in New York for the past nine years. Um, but when I was a little kid, so I grew up in a very white neighborhood, and I went to a very white school. But my dad was determined to not have me, to like, know everyone and get along with everyone. So his plan <laughs> was to place me in, he worked for the state, and they would send inner city Baltimore kids to sleepover camps. And he put me 
in these in the, the camps. And I was like a really nerdy girl that was just around white kids all the time that like had my dolls at 12 and like was completely nerdy. And I remember getting on that bus with like, I'm pretty sure I had a SpongeBob shirt on. <laughs> and I think I brought like, I definitely brought like a teddy bear or something. Cause it was a sleepover. It was like sleepover, exactly. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> first of all, they were like, Ooh, da. anyway, they were cursing. <laughs> I know, like, people didn't curse around me. It was, I was very sheltered. Um, and that, that happened, like, the first time when I got on. They were like, who the fuck, da 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 And I just got roasted. I got roasted <laughs> for a whole weekend. Um, for the first weekend. But then I was like, I, I made friends. I slowly made friends. I, because some people took pity on my roasting. This was character building, guys. I am not sad. <laughs> And I feel like at the end, because this happened the next three years. I might have started at like 11 and went to 14. Because when it came to high school, I wanted to go to public school. I was like, I'm not even dealing with like all white school anymore. Like I've made friends all over the state that I'm still friends with. So I want to be with them in school. So it really changed the trajectory of my life by going to these camps. But it's weird for me to hear like, black girls not being outside, since my first initiation was like black people outside. So I kind of have like an opposite experience. But my takeaway from this is, I don't know, people have really weird experiences and really weird upbringings and um, you can't um, judge off of their, their race of what we're, what we're doing. I mean, I learned all the outdoor stuff while they were curs cursing it. They were like, what the fuck? Da, 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 da. You about to hook up? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a lot of sex talk. There's a lot of like, a lot, there's a lot going on. But I'm learning how to tie a knot and set up, set up a tent. And so it's cool. Like, we gonna do this together. And it was character building. And now I can get along with everybody. So it's, it was really great. Um, but yeah, put your kids in inner city Baltimore camps because I turned out pretty great. Thank you. Anyone else? I see one right here. Okay, cool. Hi, y'all. I'm Jody, and I'm from New York. Um, all right, so when I was 14 years old, uh, right after I finished freshman year of high school, my mom was like, you know what? I'm tired of New York. We're moving to Washington State. And I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, my aunt, um, the backstory is my aunt got married to a cowboy, literally to a cowboy. And... Um, she went from Dominican Republic to Washington State, and she had her kids there. So my, my mom was like, yeah, your aunt is out there. Like, we need a change. And I was like, okay, this is wild disrespectful. I just started high school, but let's do this. So um, we moved literally right after that class ended. And so we're there in the summer, and I had one friend, um, and she was like, uh, she was my mom's friend's daughter. And... Um, she was biracial, Ecuadorian and white, and so she born and raised in this little town in Washington State. Um, and so one weekend she was like, hey, my dad is gonna take me and a couple other friends like camping, um, but it's gonna be like very regular, like we're gonna get there and just put out the tent and like it's gonna be chill. And um, I told my mom, and mom was like, well, I don't know, like we're from the city. And I was like, no, nah, mom, like we're, we're an adult, I wanna try this. She said, okay, cool. This man was 
a very special man. Instead of just taking us to some regular, regular camping, he wanted to give us the full outdoor experience. So he's like, no, 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 we're going to hike. We're going to hike to the top of this mountain. And I just remember being like, okay, I'm game. But also, like, I definitely didn't have appropriate, like, you know, shoes or any of that. I had never done that kind of, like, extreme outdoorsy type of workouts, let's call it. Um, and so as we're walking up, um, I end up getting lost. And I, I don't know. I had some, they had given me something to, like, cover my face because um, I was scared that bees were going to come and attack me for some reason. Um, and sure enough, there, like a swarm of bees came by. And so they, they ended up finding me because I was screaming. Um, and I was like, okay, now I'm like lost in the middle of the woods. I, I'm in Washington State. Like, this is ridiculous. So they find me. We end up getting to the top. Uh, and it was, it was so beautiful. And we slept the night. And I was like, wow, this was so worth it. But then on the way back down, it was so steep that I just remember praying and thinking, I just want to see my mom again. Because I really thought we were just going to, like, fall. It, it felt like what people must have thought back in the days, that the earth was flat. And, like, if you kept going, <laughs> if you kept going, you were just going to fall off because that's really what it felt like. Uh, and so then on the way down, I end up um, falling. And I do something to my knee to the point that I can't walk anymore. So they end up having to wrap me in rope and, like, roping me down step by step. And I just kept thinking, we just gotta, we gotta get to where the car is. We just gotta get to the where the crowd, the crowd is. So we finally get to like, we're probably like 20 minutes, 20 minutes out. And I'm like, okay, I can limp my way down. And so we make it right in front of the car. When we get to the to the car, I literally just like fall. Like, I don't pass out, but I just fall. Like my 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 legs just completely give out. So, anyways, I get home. My mom is like, okay, how was it? I'm like, try to like not scare her. And then the next day, I wake up. And my legs were swollen. Like, it looked like two legs put in one. And I couldn't walk for an entire week. And my mom was so mad at this man for lying and saying that he was going to give us, like, a regular camping experience. And it turned into, like, something very, very extreme. Um, so that was my story. Thank you. Anybody else? We got time for one more. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Jennifer. I'm from D.C. Um, so I was born in Haiti, um, so I have two very overprotective Haitian parents. Um, when we immigrated here, um, my parents weren't really into the outdoors, like, aside from, you know, hanging out on the porch, you know? <laughs> like, we never did, like, camping as a kid. And I grew up in, like, a really uh, white suburban uh, town. Um, and a lot of my friends would go camping because there were a lot of state parks nearby. And like, we never did that as a family. And my parents used to joke, they're like, I didn't immigrate here from a third world country just to go pay to sleep outdoors. Um, so that's kind of like what I think was my like upbringing when it came to uh, the great outdoors. I would always joke, like, I don't see what's so great about the great outdoors. Um, so I think also another thing is that, like, you know, like being like, black and female is like hair is such a, like a big and important part of like um, who you are and one of my biggest like fears was that um, what was I going to do with my hair when I'm like out in the woods and like you know with all these like white girls like what are they going to say when I bring out my bonnet or my hair scarf or I like have to grease my scalp and like literally I'm the only black girl so like no one else is going to do this and 
I didn't want to like invite the questions and even like I just I just didn't want to do it. And um, I so I started traveling a lot as I got older. Um, and I had a lot of like very similar experiences to you, like going abroad and like people trying to take pictures of me. I got called Beyonce, Oprah, Serena, Michelle Obama, and I'm like, thanks, 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 but uh, no. <laughs> That's kind of an insult to Beyonce, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't believe she would call you that, Beyonce. Um, and like, but like I would literally be in Asia and like, um, like just people just treating you like, you know, you're like just something in a cage. I'd be like, don't know how many people's like family photo albums I'm in. I'm not even joking. Um, like people would like hand me babies, like touch my hair in Indonesia. So many people touch my hair. Like so, um, it was just like a really big part of like my travels. But I remember when I lived in Italy. It was my very first time living abroad. I did my first semester of college in Italy, and at the time, this was I was still stuck on the creamy crack. Um, and because it was just like when like the Rihanna pixie cut thing was still happening, so I had to like straighten my hair. She was, Rihanna really damaged a lot of edges. It's a perm. It's a perm. A relaxer, yeah. So sorry, I still had a relaxer a perm, and I bought like because I was like I'm not gonna be able to find this in Italy. So I literally bought four boxes of Dark and Lovely with me in my suitcase, and just but I eventually ran out, and I eventually just like had to let my hair be. But no, they're wow. I, they're not in in Italy. Mm -mm. Um, not in 2009, at least. Um, so then, while I was there, uh, we did a class trip to Morocco, and we decided to go camping in the Sahara Desert, and that was my first outdoor experience. And I remember this because, like. It was like the first time I was like stuck in a tent with like all these white strangers in this foreign country. And like it was like the very first time where I had to like do my hair care routine. And it was just like, I don't know, I felt really vulnerable and really exposed in like a really odd way. Um, Cause I didn't feel like I wanted to explain what I was doing. I was just like, I'm just doing my hair. Like you do your hair before you go to bed? Yeah. Like you don't? Like, it, I don't know, it was just like, and. But I mean, but I, in conquering that, like, I actually didn't conquer that. Like, it, it really like kind of scarred me. Um, I didn't go camping after that. Like, I like my friends would be like, "Oh, you want to go hiking?" I was like, "I don't want to go hiking. I don't want to do any overnight trips, unless it's like with other like black people that like aren't gonna ask me stupid questions." So then, fast forward. I'm so sorry. There's a there's a point to this. I'm so sorry. Um, fast forward um, to last year, I've been avoiding doing anything outdoors for forever. And um, I'd always had this goal that I wanted to hit all seven continents by the time I was 27. And Antarctica was my last one. But to do that, you have to like do this like really long trip. I signed up for this trip with like literally 40 other white women. And one of the things you have to do is you have to go camping. So now, not only am I going to this like remote ass place with all these other white women <laughs> to the outdoors, I literally showed up to REI and I was like, so I'm going camping. They're like, okay to Antarctica. They're like, oh, dope. I was like, I've never been camping before. And I need something to pee in? They're like, got it. <laughs> and it was like, it was one of those things where, again, like I spent so much time like worrying about my hair. What am I going to do? Like, who's going to ask questions? Who's going to touch, touch it or whatever? And I remember 
the very last, like the final like acceptance that I kind of had was we did like a polar plunge. And we did a polar plunge and I remember getting out of the water and it honestly felt like a baptism because like my like braids ended up like, because I stayed so long outside of the water, my braids actually ended up freezing a little bit. <laughs> and it felt, so my edges broke off and I actually ended up having to do a big chop. But, <laughs> but it was literally like, sorry, yes, sorry. I did a big chop, so I literally had to shave my hair. And ever since then, it felt like it was done, right? Like it was like, this is the worst thing you thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. You thought like you were gonna get all these answers, a lot of these questions, you did. You thought your hair was gonna get damaged, it did. <laughs> and it happened and you, you're alive, you have your stories and you're fine. And I will say it's interesting, like now I, I, I'm here. <laughs> it's like I, now I do more outdoorsy things, but yeah, it, I, it's so interesting how like for the longest time I kept myself like away from nature because like that's something that is very natural to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And everybody, thank you so much for coming. Um, please check us out. We're on Instagram at OnSheGoes and our podcast bi-weekly. This one will actually be out, so the people who told their stories will be on the podcast. So <laughs> look for that on Monday. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you.